Okay, so Jordan, I got a, I got a question for you here. That's something important okay, to ask you. Yep. Are you going to be joining Hive or Mastodon or any of these alternatives that are popping up to Twitter? People are jumping ship. Are you? No. No? No. No. Yeah. I mean, I made a Hive just to see what it was like, and it like looks like it sucks. Mastodon looks like it sucks like these are just, just like mastodon specifically just looks like a glorified discord server yeah like yeah that's the, the thing i already have a discord is... server oh you want to plug it not really no i don't want the listeners okay. of this show joining that <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, know what I mean? you know what i mean yeah it's all decentralized like you have to join a wait list to join yeah. like i don't want to deal with I it i feel like you need like an engineering degree to get an account there it seems very complex you know, I don't. I love that the I love that they're called toots. That is, yeah. The like, come on now. What are we doing here? Re retoot, I think. Yeah. Or boost, boost, boost. Toots. Hey, can you boost my toot? Because I got an important. Please boost my toot, sir. <laughs> Please, bang sir. Toot over here. <laughs> my, my, my toot. It needs to be boosted. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so can't. either. I'm just I'm going down with the ship. You know, I've talked about Twitter and how. I simultaneously enjoy it and and think that it's terrible for both myself and my mental health and society and society's uh, society's health. Um, but I'm going down with the ship, you know. Uh, I'm not. It took me ten years to build up, you know, whatever ninety thousand followers on Twitter. I had to do all kinds of crazy shit, spread misinformation, and put myself through all kinds of <laughs> nonsense to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm not spending another ten years on Mastodon, you know, trying to trying to recreate the same thing. It's not going to happen. I'm just once if Twitter does go away, I'll be on, you know, Twitch. I'll be on my. I'll be on Discord. I'm not going to start yeah. building up a new thing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into it. Like I'm not even on TikTok. I know you're you're a TikToker. I'm not. On TikTok. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't made a TikTok in like two years. Like I barely. I should you use it more. On it, huh? Yeah, that's right. What happened? It just became too mainstream, just, man. Bummed. I liked it before it was you cool. Got bummed when you when you didn't get into the hype house. I was. Yeah, I I was rejected <laughs> from the leftist hype house, and I found it very insulting. Oh, they man, didn't so recognize my influencer status. You're kidding me. I know. As a fellow young person as well, you know? Yeah. I'm hip. Dude, I'm, I'm so with sorry. It. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. <laughs> maybe I will start doing more yeah. of those if Twitter goes away, but that's that's a, that's a maybe. I don't know. But okay. Just to completely contradict what I just said, but... Yeah, you know. of course. <laughs> Dude, I just... None of, none of it seems appealing, and I think all these concerns are overblown. Like about the the health of the platform, at, like structurally, I just don't see it collapsing. Yeah, um, it's just it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. It seems like he's like, honestly just got a bunch of like people who are there against their will because they're on visas, which is yeah. bad. But like the site's not going to implode like everyone thought it was going to or claimed it was going to. It seems like a bit hysterical. Um. I'm not like super worried about the health of the platform. I think it sucks that he's bringing all these fucking freaks back, but I'm not like yeah, super just like a who's who the, uh, of like the, the fucking weirdest gamergate slur saying fucking losers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it's it's pretty sad stuff. But yeah, mm -hmm. and it's amazing just the whole like business genius mindset of of sending an email to people and being like, 
I can, I've displayed that I can fire you at any time for any reason. Now, here's what you can do is you can stay in the company and not have any kind of life work insanely long hours. He's cutting all their benefits, or you can take this three month severance package. And it's like, lo and behold, many people are choosing to just sit, get out of there and take the severance. And it's like, oh, I can't believe this has happened. <laughs> but this is again, this is the wow. business genius mindset that we just can't comprehend. It is. Yeah. And uh, oh, you're man. seeing this huge corresponding drop in Tesla stock. Like Tesla has lost like $500 billion in in value, in stock value since he purchased Twitter. Like it's truly stunning. The, this, the levels of ineptitude that we're seeing. You, you almost have to respect it. <laughs> almost. Yeah, I don't. Almost. But right. Almost. Yeah. Uh, but you're, you're not joining either. I don't think so. No, I mean, I am already, I made a Mastodon account a couple of years ago, but I, I just don't see myself migrating to a new platform. No. Um, yes. Yeah, like a Twitter clone, you know, I yep. just don't think it's going to happen. Honestly, like the only other platform that I use is like Substack for like this and then my Substack. Yeah. And then I stream on TYT's Twitch, which like I, whatever, it's just a thing. I'm good, man. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I got enough social media, more like anti-social media is what they should call it. Has anyone oh, ever geez, said, so tried good. that before? I just invented no, that. No, that's that's new. That's a yet. brand new turn of phrase. Um, so it's the Insurgents episode number one twenty seven. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, our guest today is Darna Neuer, who's a climate reporter. She's been on the show a couple times before. Uh, she's with the Boston Globe. Excellent conversation with Darna, who's able to kind of get into the specifics of uh, climate policy in the way that that Jordan and I are kind of not familiar with um, talking about the the latest co- is it co- it's cop 27 right the one that's going on right now that's right yeah yep well just ended yes as well as the historic uh, Biden administration climate change uh, legislation of course we got into the the details of all of that and the you know the what the a handful of kind of positive things we can take a look at and as well a lot of depressing shit uh, and there was also some fun chit chat at the end there so we left people feeling happy and satisfied for once rather than feeling like they wanted to just like go into a dark room and lie down and feel bad about That's themselves right. in the world it's this new direction that we're trying this radical new direction that we're trying in the insurgents 2.0 the brand new rebrand very exciting if you don't know, folks, we're moving up to two episodes per week now, which was always actually the plan doing this podcast. But as soon as we started to do it, there was this global pandemic and a big crisis and a lot of shit was going on that made it kind of difficult or next to impossible. But we are moving up to two episodes per week, one free episode and one bonus episode. So please um, subscribe to the Insurgents podcast if you want to get all this uh, incredible content you can become a paid intern of the insurgents podcast for five dollars per month <laughs> or 55 dollars. it never seems to never never doesn't pop you that um <laughs> but, or it's five dollars per month or uh 55 annually to get access to the bonus content um like our previous episode with uh tom from the hardcore band stray from the path that's right uh tom was on this week it was a ton of fun. Uh, we talked about gambling. We talked about because yeah, his stories. How yeah, he's crazy got some good ones. He's got some crazy gambling like, stories. It's wild. <laughs> the one about the shotgun. Like I'm not gonna spoil it. People will need to listen to it. But like, 
wild wild like <laughs> joker origin story for a, yeah. a guy who who loves to gamble it's so it's so nuts um and then like we got into stray's music and their political bent and hardcore uh the music industry which has been a big topic uh this week and last week after like the Ticketmaster uh, antitrust investigation and uh at the end we revisited some of our old favorite uh hardcore bands which was pretty fun yeah um, great episode yeah great episode uh and not only that you get access to all of our uh premium episodes you become like rob said a paid intern and you you help support the show and keep it going which we really really appreciate your support on that front on the paid intern thing like the the tweets that we get of people like leaning into the bit are great <laughs> i got we got one a couple days ago that it's, it's, it cracked me up i hate when ken walks by the intern area he is just so flippant about avoiding his band now jordan and rob need to do something <laughs> we should uh, Someone else said, my paid internship at Insurgents Pod is going well. Haven't been asked to work hardcore in over three days. Should be able to see my family again soon. Just wish I didn't have to see Ken in the hallways. <laughs> I love it. So if you're a paid intern, you are allowed to lean into the bit. Um, if you're not, you're not. You're stealing valor. Absolutely. But you are. Did you see that tweet the other day? The guy who, who tweets news clips and it's like, I'm brave. Uh, and... So he like got mad at someone else for tweeting the same clip without crediting him either even even though neither of them like owned the owned the TV station no. like they were both tweeting out like a Trump clip from Newsmax and they were like they're just like the, the you know the TV clip Twitter account guys and they're like fighting over like who should get credit for this clip that neither of them own and then he replied well, the the main guy what you're doing is stealing valor <laughs> and all these people like blown away like did you really just compare yourself to some like military veteran <laughs> you're stealing valor from my tv clip you That's didn't right. see this no i didn't i i thankfully did not because it sounds painful to look at and to think about so i feel for these guys though it's great. i'm sorry i'm sorry that these guys have to deal moments. with this very unfortunate mm -hmm. but it is true though that you know well, you don't want to become just, a, a stolen valor intern not good no we don't like it folks yeah, so head on over to theinsurgents.substack.com, uh, become a, a paid intern there for just five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. I can't remember what we set the price at, uh, but we really appreciate it. Whatever the price is for the year, whatever you want to do, we support you uh, and you keep the show sustainable and you get access to our paid episodes like our one with Tom Williams earlier this week. Yeah, it was really great stuff. And so is this conversation that we're just about to have with Darna Noor. Please stick around for that. It was a really good uh, talk. And Darna is going to be joining the program right after this. Sometimes it's not, can, it's hard to know when it's informal chit chat or when it's like content, you know, it's hard to know where that line is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man. Um, yeah, but it's good. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Also, sorry that I was late. That's all right. That's okay. I took the extra couple minutes to get a quick game of Fortnite in. Just wow. Quick very run. quick. Yeah. 10 minutes of Fortnite. I've never yeah, played yeah. Fortnite. Oh, it's great. Jordan got me addicted to it. I was trying, I avoided it for a long time and then 
I played it. I was like, okay, I'll participate in one of your little events. I'll do, I'll do you a solid. I'll do you a favor. Bring my big social media influencer personality <laughs> to your event. And then I just got hopelessly addicted to Fortnite in the process. And I'm oh, still no. playing it to this day. I know basically yeah, you're, two you're things about the events that you can have on Fortnite, which is like that like AOC and Elon Omar were a part of that one. And then also you can have like music festivals. That's so like in my head, all of Fortnite is basically just like Ilhan and 100 Gex. And I don't know what else happened. And you can go and floss dance in front of the MLK Memorial as well. That's, That's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was honest to God, like the funniest thing they've ever done. Just like, hey, we're going to have this immersive walkthrough time event for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, But by the way, we're not going to disable emotes. So it's just like (laughs) you could pick whatever skin you want. So I picked like Master Chief from Halo and I go in there and I'm doing all these like TikTok dances in front of the MLK Memorial. (laughs) Just like, why is this a thing? Why am I allowed to do this? Uh, Wow. They should have um, the next... UN climate talks in Fortnite instead of now we're in talking. the UAE. Yeah, yeah. Going into the metaverse. There we go. Yeah, we should. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it would prevent all these dang private jets from flying over there. The, it's the, true. The big wigs. Instead, we can have like super, you know, carbon emitting data centers or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, much better. It's, I do some I mean, it scoot some environment NFTs or something, Tyron. <laughs> Just spitballing, but something like that. The game fits the the theme though because it is a game about dwindling natural resources. Yeah. And you know, you're oh, running yeah. out of time and space because of a looming climate catastrophe. That's like the theme of the game. That's right. I forgot. I remember when everyone first started playing it, there were all these like I don't think pieces about how Fortnite was like a climate game. Um I forgot that part. Word. All right, maybe I should start playing Fortnite. I'm it's like definitely not going to happen, but I feel like every time I'm on here I'm like I should start playing video games. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is the should. main thing that we try to accomplish on this program yeah, is yeah. converting people into the gaming community. Oh no. I'm ruined. <laughs> that's, our, that's our main <laughs> our main goal. Like, flash forward in three years, Darna just can't, like, hold a steady job because she's addicted <laughs> to League of Legends. Just in this she's dark, like, I just got a dark room. Up. Yeah. Just. yeah. <laughs> she bought a gaming PC. She's also, like, mining Bitcoin on the side. Yeah. There yeah. Go. I'm, like, ambidextrous, and I have, I don't know what, like, a phone in one hand and yeah. the Switch in the other one on my gaming couch. You got some Mountain Dew Code Red or something in there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Just, like, in an IV. <laughs> i love that for you yeah like that's yeah. something you should you should work on thriving what moisturized whatever blah blah blah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> in my lane oh goodness Darna, we're, we're happy to have you back uh the repeat guest i think maybe third time maybe? yeah thanks for having uh, me yeah, of course. And it just, you know, every time you're here, you're here to remind us that we're fucked. Uh, you know, no yep. one's doing enough about climate change. And, uh, you know, overall, really positive, uplifting conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's good, too, because I've been depressed about too many other things lately. So I would like to be depressed about this thing now. <laughs> it's been too long since I've thought about the, the impending doom that our generation and future generations is going to have to deal with. So I'm happy that we can we can do that today. Oh, yeah. Glad to glad to be able to help. <laughs> so uh this week uh 
well, I guess the past couple weeks, we had the the COP27 climate change conference uh, in Egypt. Um, you know, all the world, the world leaders and, uh, uh, you know, uh, UN officials convened to solve all the problems, tackle climate change, and pat themselves on the back for doing a great job. Uh, is that right? Are we... Are we uh, out of the woods now yeah yeah exactly everything's fixed you know i will say uh like these these summits never go remotely well but within the framework of like being a complete and utter shit there were some things that happened or well really one thing in particular that happened at this cop that was actually a pretty big breakthrough so Sorry if you want to be just only depressed, but you know there were no, there no, were actually <laughs> see that there was some some genuinely positive developments. Obviously, I don't think they abolished global capitalism or anything, but yeah. there are some <laughs> there are some positive takeaways definitely, which is it was just something you know something to hang on to for sure. What I mean, are they? Well, so the one let's get that out of the way first and get the depressing <laughs> stuff after. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I should yeah. say too, like it's all within the framework again of like it, it, we we knew going into this that there was no po- like there's just it's like actually impossible based on the structure of these climate summits for anything to like definitively come out of it because it's all like you know non-binding and it's all based on like you know the countries that have the most power can like basically control the entire conversation because it's all consensus based whatever like within that framework the good thing that did happen is that um countries agreed to create a fund for loss and damage which is basically like the losses and damage that are irreversible that countries, mostly poor countries, mostly global South countries are already experiencing due to climate change. So like, you know, people who have already lost their homes due to um, the devastating floods in Pakistan that we saw uh, earlier this year, or like, you know, people who have already lost their homes due to wildfires or things like this. There's a fund now. We don't know how much is going to be in it. We don't know who has to pay into it. Like the details, again, are very, very murky, but it's a pretty huge development considering that like many rich countries chiefly the u.s were just like staunchly opposed to doing basically anything on this for a long time so one good thing um again muted but like good still you know we we have these events uh time and time again and all these different summits and all these leaders convene like okay we're gonna do this you know they have these cop uh meetings uh, or summits that we of course have, you know, the, the Paris Agreement in 2015, the Copenhagen Accord in 2009, Kyoto Protocol in 2005, and then you just look at emissions and trends uh, in, in global temperature change, and it's just like the lines just still going up. So it's like, how do you square as a climate reporter and expert? How do you kind of square these things? It's like, okay, at least they're talking about it. You want to like make yourself feel good about it with like the lack of. <laughs> lack of what seems to be progress in the data like I, how do you kind of rationalize all of these things yeah oh man uh an expert <laughs> um i don't know if i'm that for any of this but i mean for this specifically i guess the reason that i think that even though this is like such a tiny accomplishment compared to what's needed maybe the reason to like sort of think about it as something good at all is because it shows a bit of a shift in power like it shows that um, the nations that are the most affected already by climate change are starting to sort of band together and be like, no, fuck you. We have a voice and like, um, will not just like 
continue to basically be oppressed by like the world's richest nations. Um, so I think that that's like a positive trend um, that could mean something in the future. But you're right. Like, I mean, yeah, if you look at the lines, like emissions continue to rise, they're rising less quickly than they were before. But like, obviously, what we need is for them to um, decline very rapidly. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> honestly, it seems like the changes that are actually we know that like the changes that are actually needed are on a scale that first of all we, we've basically never seen globally um like in a level of international cooperation that we've never we've never seen globally um so we're up against like you know basically everything everything works against this um but we also know that like you know the the people who we are relying on to make those changes have every incentive not to or to like uh basically make changes that might be aligned with climate action, but could be really, really horrible, you know, like um, investing in sort of like scary tech solutions or like, you know, just moving over to an equally sort of, uh, maybe maybe we have like a new renewable energy economy, but maybe it's like equally sort of exploitive and horrible. Um, so we know that like the incentives are not there for the most powerful people to change everything. Um, so I think that with that said, anything that can sort of build the kind of power that might start to work against that, I think is a win, even though like in the grand scale of thing, it's nowhere near the scale of anything that's um, needed. Um, that was like the most horribly sad way to say that it's a good thing ever, but um, you know. <laughs> it was interesting and illuminating seeing like the rights reaction to some of these developments as well. Well, Brandon is now having this, this billion dollar slush fund for these yes developing countries and it's just it's it just continues to just you know astound me the, the level of profound ignorance that these folks have um not only denying that climate change even exists or is happening or our role you know here in the west in, in extremely disproportionately contributing to that but ignoring the ways that these developing nations are already experiencing the fallout of this and will continue to bear the brunt of it much more than we will as is the years go on we're, we're already seeing some impacts but nowhere near the level of of chaos that we're going to see in a lot of these developing nations and the uh, massive uh, migrant caravans and things like that are that are sure to uh, ensue yeah. from uh, from the the devastating impacts of the of the sea, sea level changes and all these uh, these different uh, elements of climate change. So I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but I I just continue to be sickened by the right's uh, total refusal to act on this in any way, either domestically or internationally, and well, framing framing the idea that we should be helping global south countries that are the, becoming the victims of this because we contributed to it we created it and just framing that as being some kind of like slush fund or handout or something you know it's 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 fucking enraging yeah i mean i i agree completely and also i feel like for i mean for like powerful right-wing people like you know you have some kind of stake in the game like if you are benefiting from like the continued existence of like the fossil fuel industry. Um, okay, you have a material incentive to like do something horribly destructive. But for like ordinary people who like lean right, I also think that it comes from this idea that like like that is coming for you too, right? Like maybe you know you're not going to see the same level of de devastation right now in the United States that we're seeing in you know a place like the Maldives or uh, Pakistan or something like this. But like. If you 
are a right wing person who lives in like, I don't know, Florida or like California or whatever, like it comes, I don't know. I feel like it it also comes from this idea that it's like, oh, well, they would never let this happen to me. Like, no, dude, they will let that happen to you. (laughs) Like the second that it's, you know, the second that it's like more politically convenient (laughs) to not like um, pretend to be aligned with your material interests, they will. So I don't know, like it, it just seems like even if it's like not for altruistic reasons, even if it's purely just like, you know what, I got to take care of my own self. It kind of seems like, well, yeah, I mean, don't you want a thing to happen that would show like some level of interest in also taking care of your climate future? <laughs> well, I don't you, know. Know, you know what, though? It's like I sometimes think like, well, of course, when Florida's underwater, they'll start to realize the seriousness of this. Now I'm not so sure, especially in the wake of COVID and what we've seen. Now I kind of feel like Florida in general is going to be underwater. There's going to be these right wing people like the damn libs are trying to send rescue boats. They're just part of a globalist conspiracy or something. Yeah. And they're going to be just sitting there in their fucking attics. That's uh, you know, right. It's really scary. That it's going on. It's scary. You know? Yeah. And then, and also like there will be, you know, liberals in New York being like, oh, you know what? They, they all deserve deserved it, it because yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Like they deserved it because they were climate deniers. And it's like, no, no, um, you know, there, there's <laughs> also beings. people that live there that are not climate deniers yeah, and yeah. don't want to drown in boiling seawater. So yeah, we should pay attention to that. Sure. I'm curious if there was any traction on coal. Like that is such that is obviously a big issue here. You know, Mansion has uh, kind of it made it unclear whether or not he's going to uh, support the nomination um, for of David Crane to be the Undersecretary for Energy and Infrastructure. Because mm-hmm. you know, Mansion's the chair of the Energy and Natural Natural Resources Committee in the Senate, uh, and it, it's specifically over his stance on coal. Um, it's, it's tough because he's, you know, quote, a Democrat and he's in, in the caucus, but he breaks with most Democrats on that issue. And Republicans definitely want to, uh, increase coal production and output. And that's a issue for, I think, Indonesia and China to an extent. Definitely. Have you like, what, what was, I, I did see there were some headlines around phasing out or like slowing down our use and reliance on coal globally, uh, but it seemed to be in rhetoric only. Was there any, did I miss anything concrete around coal? So basically what happened regarding coal at COP27 is just like recommitting to the stuff that was already agreed to at COP26 um, last year. So basically like another sort of big topic of conversation at um, this year's climate talks and like several before this um, was basically whether or not countries are gonna agree to make a plan to phase out of fossil fuels um they surprise surprise did not agree to even just starting to um phase out fossil fuels but what they did agree to is accelerating efforts towards the phase down of unabated coal power so first of all phase down like not phase out phase down and then second unabated so what that really means i think probably is like yeah, you can have coal as long as you pair it with some carbon capture and storage, which is a technology that like maybe one day, but like just currently does not exist at scale, has not been proven to work, like doesn't, you know, really like do anything about some of the other sort of scarier local impacts of extraction. So there's that. Um, And then again, also like, yes, phase down of unabated coal power, but nothing about oil and gas. Um, So I don't know. I mean, that could, that could mean something that could mean like, you know, a decrease in coal subsidies. Um, it could mean that fewer coal projects get approved, less coal funding, like internationally. 
but if that is replaced with oil and gas, um, you know, that's not really much of a solution at all. I think especially, I mean, right now there's like a lot of talk around gas and the, not to get ahead of myself or whatever, but like the, um, the agreement made at COP27 also included this like weird little phrase about low emissions energy, like it endorsed low emissions energy, which people think probably means more gas. So, um, you know, a bit, a bit of progress on coal, but nothing that we haven't seen before. Yeah, it's also kind of hard to take some of these climate commitments seriously, especially from the United States, uh, you know, especially given the way that, you know, talking about fracking and the way that the, the Biden administration, despite initially kind of having some uh, language about that, kind of eventually did a did a about face on that, a 180 on fracking, yeah. particularly to appeal to like voters in Pennsylvania and places where fracking is a major industry. Yeah. There's also this whole element of the coming energy crisis in Western Europe as a result of the, the war between Russia and Ukraine, um, where you have America kind of encouraging Western European countries to reject uh, Russian gas that they get from a pipeline and relatively cheaply and replace that with fracked gas from yes. the United States, yes. uh, which is significantly more, uh, you know, it's environmentally damaging to the places where it's extracted from. It takes more energy to transport it to these places and it's it's leading to an increase in emissions and an increase in uh, the usage of these these environmentally hazardous practices, right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, interestingly, I think, you know, a clear sign of this, um, of like the sort of push to increase gas development, um, you know, and gas exports, especially from the US, was that the US for basically in, in kind of a surprising move, the US was down at COP27 to get behind um, a phase down of unabated fossil fuels like coal, oil and gas. Um, and, you know, I talked to some like sort of climate justice expert folks who basically said, yeah, of course they're into unabated gas being phased out because, or phased down, because that means that like, you can just continue to export the gas, but the abating part is up to you. So like here, Europe, you can have gas from the United States, but if you want to comply with your, like with the UN climate agreement, then you better figure out how to get rid of the emissions from it. That's not our yeah. job. It's your gas, you know? So there's a lot of, um, I think like you know more renewable power for me and not for the kind of thing and also yeah just like a huge expansion of the um you know some a thing that we're somehow still calling a transition fuel or a bridge fuel that's showed very clearly not to be not to be anything um that we should be using as one of those one of the things i saw also was that there were a ton of fossil fuel lobbyists uh, over 600 yeah. uh, fossil fuel lobbyists were there which was uh from uh global witness reported that was a 25% increase uh, from last year. Yes. Uh, could you talk about how they, why they're even allowed there? Uh, and also just kind of the setting and the next one's going to be in Dubai. Uh, I mean, these are like, this is just, this isn't really like, you know, a place that's hostile to uh, oil. Uh, this is a, a region largely that, you know, thrives on production of oil. So could you talk about just, that that influence that fossil fuel lobbyists had over this conference and kind of the setting at large for these. Oh yeah, I mean, like the UN climate talks have never been a place to seriously discuss cutting ties with the fossil fuel industry because the fossil fuel industry is always sort of all over these UN talks and like. Last year, uh, the organizers of the conference kind of made this like big to do about. Um, 
uh, like trying to cut ties with them. Like they, they made a show of like banning um, oil companies from officially sponsoring uh, the COP27 or COP26, I guess it was last year. Um, but it, there's no rules against like bringing fossil fuel lobbyists as part of national delegations. So like if Canada wants to, it can say, oh, well, you know, we have folks from oil companies here, but they're like delegates on our behalf. And then also they have like a bunch of industry groups there who have their own delegations. And that means that if you're part of a national delegation, so like in the Canada instance, you can actually be a part of not of like the official dele- like official talks. You can go into the sort of summit rooms that are private and like kind of hidden away from civil society, like from, you know, the kind of activist groups and stuff that show up. Um, so you have this like just kind of wild level of access. And then even if you're not part of a national delegation, you can still kind of like, you know, whisper in officials ears in the hallways or like wine and dine them and say like, oh, well, you know, I'll give you this if you give me that. So it's not, uh, you know, not not surprising, I think. Although, I mean, it is pretty, pretty wild. I, I wrote about that report too. that um, the report that showed that there was a 25 percent increase in fossil fuel lobbyists from last year and like there were way fewer people that attended these talks than last year. So that's an increase in fossil fuel lobbyists, despite the fact that like fewer people overall actually went. I guess another thing that has frustrated me about the U.S. response to climate change, whether it's at uh, COP or whether it's with Biden's historic uh, climate package that they that they talk endlessly about is and and Elon Musk is a central figure in this as well, is the doubling and tripling down on car culture. Yes. Yeah. And the idea that through EVs and through zero emission vehicles, we can keep car culture in place, but we can be in green and environmentally friendly. Like this is a completely fictional idea. It's not true. It's a lie. It's something that like if we want to have a, a genuine like a real response to to the threat of climate change that we're all facing, that's going to be something that it, Western uh governments you know in america and canada and elsewhere that that have been so heavily dependent on car culture are gonna have to reckon with and there's gonna need to be and so far this has been completely absent from from any uh climate action whether it's in you know america or canada or elsewhere but this is an investment in rail in transit public transit this is going to have to happen with there's going to be any kind of real response. Instead, we're, we're doubling down on car culture. We're allowing grifters and con men like Elon Musk to sell us on this idea of like the hyperloop, which is just a way to stall and completely avoid investing in the existing infrastructure that's already there for yes. rail and transit and that kind of stuff. Totally. This to me is just something that is that these go- the, our governments in the West are going to have to eventually reckon with uh, this idea that we cannot have a, a, a legitimate solution or a legitimate climate action while also trying to maintain this fiction that we can still carry on our culture of, of automobile worship. It's just, it's completely not feasible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's similar, I think in some ways to the talk of like the carbon capture for fossil fuel right, energy yeah. stuff. Like it's this idea. Not a real that, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, we need some stuff like, you know, I, it would be great if there were some like we we need there to be such a thing as um electric vehicles because like you know school buses exist and things like this um but like i mean the the bigger solving the bigger problem would be so it's like it's such a it's it's a way bigger problem than just replacing cars you know you have to like change 
the way that neighborhoods are designed. You have to make it so that people are able to actually like access public transit and are, you know, able to like live closer to the grocery store and things like this in the same way that like, you know, remaking the grid requires like just kind of massive changes that it's not in like powerful people's best interest to make. Um, so, you know, instead we get these sort of solutions that are like, oh, well, it's it's this very like, I don't know, carbon fetishism thing where it's like, oh, well, if we just if we just get rid of the um, the part of it that's emitting the carbon, then, you know, everything will be fine as though the majority of cars that are going on roads when you, you know, invest in roads are not still spewing out emissions. And also as though it wouldn't just be better to have like, you know, a world where people don't need to make horribly high car payments and like, you know, commute hours and hours to work and shit like this. Like there's just, it's so clear that there is a better version out there. And yet the thing that we're getting is just like, oh, replace the shitty thing with, uh, you know, a quote unquote clean version of the shitty thing. Well, you know, we're a, a few months past the infrastructure or not the infrastructure, the Inflation Reduction Act. And, you know, that was championed by Democrats as this historic climate action that uh, no other country has undertaken. And, you know, there was, but there was some tinkering around the edges and some pushback. And obviously, uh, later in the year, that Manchin was not successful on. But he was... Um, you know, he was trying to do this uh, permitting reform for uh, for pipelines, and we're probably going to see that uh, come back maybe later this year. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, maybe next year. Uh, what should people understand about this permitting reform push from Manchin, his dirty deal, as a lot of people like to call it, and the effect that would have on what I think is a, a moderate it's a step in the right direction. It maybe not might not be the best thing to do, but it's a step in the right direction. Uh, but what is how the effect that would have on the climate provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act? Yeah, I, I mean the the permitting reform legislation thing. I think just I mean I'll just maybe start by saying like the divisions that this sowed among sort of like the climate world were very. I don't know, like in some ways kind of surprising and in some ways just very telling. Um, basically, this would be, you know, it was like a, a side deal that um, like Democrats agreed, like, oh, mention if you support the IRA, then we'll give you. It's so funny to me still. It's called the IRA. <laughs> but if you support the IRA, um, then you can have this. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the big support bizarre... of the IRA over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'll just never get over like, you know, Biden and Nancy Pelosi and shit. Being like, <laughs> we have to support the IRA. Um, yeah, it, it rules. Um, but so the, the permitting reform legislation thing, it it's it's like a mixed bag, right? Because it is true that we need um, a reform for like we need. We need to be able to build a lot more stuff and we need to have a very serious conversation about transmission and mansions bill basically um posits that the way to do that is like um fast track infrastructure through environmental reforms or through environmental regulations basically like don't let people um use the courts or like you know kind of existing environmental processes to say that they have an issue with um, like energy infrastructure that's getting built in their neighborhoods, which is scary. Um, and also use this as a way to fast track the mountain Valley pipeline that he's like been a long time starch supporter of, um, and opening the door to kind of fast track some other fossil fuel projects. So 
I mean, I guess the things to look for in the next permitting bill will be um, one, what does it mean for the Mountain Valley Pipeline? What does it mean for other fossil fuel projects? And two, does it include the kind of safeguards that can protect people from like, you know, sometimes genuinely dangerous and scary infrastructure that could get built around them? Um, there's been a lot of sort of, I don't know, scapegoating of the National Environmental Protection Act. Like there's just been a lot of talk of like, oh, well, the reason that the United States doesn't build anything is because of these damn environmental regulations, as though that is really the um, issue, I guess. Um, That is, I think, very frustrating. At the same time, we do need to have a very serious talk about like transmission and, um, you know, building more things that allow people to actually use more renewable energy when we bring it online. So I don't know, I think looking out for what the bill means for fossil fuels and what the bill means for like the people who will live near energy and, and other infrastructure is probably probably the place to look. Also worth mentioning as well, um, when we're talking about the the inequities and the, the issues with the, the so-called sort of historic climate legislation is that you can't also, like not only can you not have a bold, uh, uh, meaningful climate a solution that doubles down on car culture. You also can have a bold climate change solution that doubles down on the military and has the has this ever expanding military budget and ever expanding military presence around the world. Which is, I believe, the number one uh, emitter of uh, yeah. of carbon. The U.S. And military these are mutually is the, exclusive. No, I mean a hundred percent. Yeah, I. Oh man, this is like a whole other conversation that I could talk about for um, hours. Also, but yeah, I mean, this is the. <laughs> This kind of this scary thing about the U.S. framing climate change as like a national security threat is that allows for this the continuation of this thing, right? Like the U.S. is the greatest historical emitter, and currently the U.S. military is the number one consumer of fossil fuels and the number one emitter of greenhouse gases. So like the two are just not compatible. Um, you will there. I mean, there are people out there who are like, and that's why we need to cut the carbon emissions from the military and continue to grow it. But I think that yeah, is, you just mean, green, green the military. Yeah, that's yeah, it. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, which again is, you know, that's like another carbon capture EVs sort of like, why would you not just do the obvious good thing? Um, but we know the reasons why. And we know why they're not doing the obvious good thing. So you see um, scenes like in Hawaii, in the United States military in Hawaii, poisoning natural uh, drinking water sources. You know that that indigenous Hawaiians have to have rely on to live. Yeah, you know it's not just emitting carbon all over the world where the U.S. military is located, but it's it's in, engaging in these kind of practices and destroying uh, local local environmental infrastructure and destroying drinking water reservoirs. And this is it's not just for this reason that the United States military should be getting out of Hawaii and should be getting out of Japan and, and Korea and all the various other places where it's look, uh, set up yeah. shop Iraq yeah. around the world. Um, but it's one of, it's one of the important reasons. Definitely. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, totally. And like, I, I mean, and the idea that there is such thing as a militarism that does not kind of stoke that kind of environmental injustice. It's just like, I don't know. I think yeah. pretty pretty absurd, you know. I, I guess, guess that, that yeah. the two go very much hand in hand. Yeah, I guess that's the reason that I get cynical about 
you can say, well, it's great that they're agreeing to set up this fund for the global south and these developing nations that are victimized by climate change. But it's not it's kind of meaningless when you're continuing the very same practices that are causing the, that impact in the first place. You, well, know, yeah. you can't you kind of have to do both of those things You have to stop doing the activity that's causing the problem. And you have to support these nations, these developing countries as they deal with these cataclysmic consequences of it. A hundred percent. I mean, and like, you know, literally the IPCC, like top climate scientists, top mainstream climate scientists also have basically said that, like, you know, colonialism has historically been and is continually a leading driver of climate change. And it's not a coincidence, right, that like, you know, the nations that are often the most affected by climate change are the ones that have these sort of histories of being colonized and of imperialism, like ongoing imperialism. And so I think, you know, in two ways, it's like, yeah, continuing to fuel militarism and continuing to like invest in fossil fuel infrastructure means that um, there will be more climate change. And that's really bad for these global South countries. But also it like kind of instills this um, like, I don't know, global like power structure where those nations have like a smaller ability to sort of, you know, stand up for themselves and like do I mean, and not to say that like, you know, nations that are like on the front lines of climate change in the global south have like perfectly um you know beautifully democratic governments like it's not it's not like an either or thing but it is true that like you know and again climate scientists themselves say that like that sort of power imbalance is also a driver of climate change so yeah in in two ways there's not really a way to have uh to have that continued investment in the military or in fossil fuels and and kind of have like anything resembling climate justice globally it's just it's not not really possible um, Rob, did you have anything else? I think we're good now. Yeah, I've got my sanctimonious uh, <laughs> rants out of the way on this. Do, but yeah, do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, Darn, I'm wondering, have you been watching the World Cup? No, no, oh, I've not I mean, been. Are you a are you a sports sports head? Oh my God, sports Every ball. T- I'm not. I I'm not. I keep saying that I'm gonna get into sports, and then I keep saying I'm gonna get into video games. But no, I have not been watching the World Cup, and I don't really watch sports. I feel like I sound That's like fine. the most boring person ever. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> not. Yeah, but I. My, but I like did see. Stuff. But I, I. I mean, you did. You mentioned that our uh, dear friends in um, in Saudi Arabia, you know, were, yeah. were victorious. So. Those are our allies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, actually, that is something that I think is is worth mentioning in the climate and oil conversation. Like the the Saudis have like just pushed Biden around on uh, on all of this this uh, you know the oh, fuck. What, what am I? Uh, my mind just went blank on like the production issue because it is an element, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And they pushed him around, and like as he asked for increased production, uh, instead they said, "Oh, actually, we're going to cut production." Yeah, because we want you your know, political opponents to win, and they're just uh, like, "Okie dokie, yeah. Jack." Like, so <laughs> back and forth, they go back and forth on this stuff, and then like Biden keeps trying to appease him, and he uh, gives MBS legal immunity. Yes, in the the Khashoggi lawsuit, and then like a, a story comes out yesterday early in the day yesterday oh uh the saudis or opec plus is now considering an increase in production so people naturally jump to the conclusion oh they gave mbs what he wants they're going to increase production and then later in the day mbs is like 
or OPEC, OPEC plus was like, no, this is not true. This story's yeah, not yeah, true. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, they're like, like no, no Wall Street <laughs> Journal. It's all fake. I know. I'm, I'm very curious about what the hell is going on. It's there, unbelievable. Yeah, it's truly. I mean, it's really like, um, like reality show levels of, um, like unbelievable. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, especially just days after, right? Biden was like, we gotta protect MBS from the Khashoggi lawsuit. It's just, yeah. I mean. I mean, it's it is embarrassing, especially considering the level and like not just when you talk about uh, Khashoggi, but just the endless diplomatic cover uh, we've been providing. You know, I'm talking about both Canada and the United States here for the Saudis as they carry on this genocidal campaign in Yemen, one of the worst human rights atrocities in the world, while we simultaneously lecture other countries around the world about human rights at the same time, I yeah, should say. Um, what? We're not the like grand spreaders of democracy? Yeah, what? <laughs> Um, and arming them, like literally selling them the weapons that they need to carry on these kinds of atrocities. And they still just with the complete, complete uh, lack of respect that they show for for Biden or for Canada when Canada famously uh, very politely asked them to maybe tone down on some of the human rights uh, in groups and imprisoning human rights activists. They literally threatened to do 9-11 to Canada. Yes. And we were like, we're sorry, Saudi Arabia will never will, won't happen again. We stuck our we stuck our nose where it didn't belong. Yeah, absolutely. I don't remember if we were recording when we were saying that uh, the next UN climate talks are going to be in the UAE, but like that will just be a whole other. I mean, obviously, this year in Egypt there were um, many rightful concerns about like how to have a, a climate talks when you're also concerned about like you know like the abuses of uh, like prisoners and things. Um, I think that same dynamic will be very present next year. And, uh, you know, with this sort of added layer of like the, you know, U.S. relationship with like the sort of volatile uh, oil market, I think it'll be, I don't know, it'll be interesting to say. Yes, it will. Yeah. Congratulations to the Saudi soccer team, though. That was definitely the second most (laughs) exciting uh, Saudi Arabia related event that I've ever woken up to. Um, I'm sad that I didn't watch it now. (laughs) I'm going to go back and watch it and I'm going to find someone to watch a replay with me. I I was telling Rob, I hate Lionel Messi to begin with. And just like seeing, seeing him lose, even if it is to the Saudis, is like pretty funny. Um, But I'm shocked. I'm shocked that Saudi Arabia beat, uh, beat Argentina. That's just crazy to me. Is this? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, again, I know like basically nothing about this, but I thought that it was surprising and I'm glad to know that I was right. <laughs> um, I at least Oh, it's totally thing. surprising. Yeah, yeah, okay. That was yeah, like, they were it's not like ex- a crazy upset, right? Okay, cool. I'm glad to Yeah, they were not expected to win. Um what happened? You know, I like you're gonna you're gonna answer this question and I'm just gonna have so many other ones because I'm gonna have so little yeah, idea. You can just make up a bunch about. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. their third forward engaged with the classic uh, eagle technique that uh you know, just making making stuff up i don't actually know well, about re- soccer either so it was just that saudi arabia scored more goals in argentina yeah that's it. the john madden explanation <laughs> you know the one side are going to score more goals they're guaranteed that's to it. win the game that's all that's it wow stunning incredible <laughs> in a stunning uh, upset saudi arabia scored more goals that's right <laughs> very cool that's our sports analysis actually i'm more excited from the the ohio state michigan game this weekend i, I don't know if either of you guys care but i'm just i'm fucking over the moon for that I'm i can't so wait sorry 
Nothing, nothing I'm from you so guys. Sorry. Not so much. No, I'm just an NBA guy, and I'm doing a bit of World Cup just to kind of check it out, and that's all I got. All right, that's and I'll fair. see, and I'll watch the Super Bowl. I love um, you know mostly for yelling the and drinking beer. Yeah, yeah, nachos. I love nachos. So yeah, I really, yeah, I yeah. should get into sports. You're a sports. You may make a sports <laughs> fan of you yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Also um, Fortnite. Yeah, that's also a sport yeah, right. as well. Mm-hmm. Gaming. <laughs> Well, Darna, this has been wonderful. Darna, thanks for coming back on the on the program and, and breaking this stuff for down for us. Me. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's always great to be here. I feel like this was particularly like uh, goofy. <laughs> I hope that that's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm happy. So yeah. that you know, usually we keep the really depressing stuff for the end, and this time we get the lighthearted chit chat for the end. We should do that more. <laughs> you leave someone, I think so. leave people feeling good you, instead of feeling horrible, which is what we normally do. That's the normal insurgents. That, I think the way that this whole start, this started is that Jordan, you were just like, so are either of you, or, so Darna, are you a sports fan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> perfect, perfect closer. Yeah. I love it. Yep. I'll do yeah. that more often. Yeah, perfect. Um, cool. This was somehow fun, even though this is what we were talking about. So thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah, of course. Where can people find you and your work? Um, I'm on, I mean, who knows by the time, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, Darna Noor on Twitter. And I also write for the Boston Globe. And you can find all of my work there at globe.com slash climate. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>